0: experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation, visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hey there, hi there, ho there, and welcome to episode 182 of the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your host and Diz historian Michael Bowling, and I am joined by my co-host, executive producer, and good friend Craig Williams. Craig, how are you today? I'm doing just fine. How are you, Michael? I'm doing well. Thank you. I, I As we talked before the show, I I feel like I'm living in the La Brea tar pits because I have two bathrooms being remodeled right now, and they just laid the tar for the hot pan or whatever, the basically the bottoms of the showers, and oh my gosh, the house just reeks. I couldn't open all the windows because it rained today, and so anyway, so they said in about five days that the the scent should pass
1: in the meantime if anyone wants to buy tickets to the michael bowling tar pit i would be more than happy to accommodate those requests so just uh, make sure that you venmo me twenty dollars and i'll send you his address and you can enjoy the michael bowling tar pits it's good
0: and let's hope a cat doesn't you know get stuck in them and sink (laughs) You know, down. <laughs> I, I'm sorry to
1: laugh at that, but the, it's just it, it. It's now playing out in my head. Everything, the meowing, <laughs> the the sadness of it all. So
0: uh, that, that got dark, but it did. It did. Well. As part of our celebration of Walt Disney World's 50th anniversary, we'll be exploring areas of Walt Disney World we haven't covered in our early episodes of Connecting with Walt, when we went into depth on the creation of Walt Disney World. We later discussed the design and construction of the Magic Kingdom. If you haven't listened to those episodes, you might want to as part of your celebration of this milestone year for Walt Disney World. So in this episode, we're going to embark on a virtual exploration of Discovery Island. And no, that's not the one in Disney's Animal Kingdom that is home to the Tree of Life. We're going to take a virtual walk around the one in the middle of Bay Lake that may hold some mystery for our younger guests or those who visited Walt Disney World after the island closed in 1999. Craig, did you have the opportunity to visit Discovery Island? I
1: absolutely did. So I was there about two weeks ago, and the the uh, arrest record did not come out yet. So uh, that look forward to that soon, and I have lots of great stuff to show from there. But um, we'll look for those videos, yeah, at dot <laughs> or the Diz. Or yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> I uh, I have not been there any time recently, so. Uh, I need to make sure that that is a joke. We'll get to the those fun, uh, exciting parts of this this story here later on in this episode. But I I did get to go there a couple times. I think I went in ninety two and ninety four, and uh, my my memories there are actually pretty vivid, uh, considering I was young. And I've talked before about how how my my brain has made up a lot of stuff, but like I can. I can distinctly remember walking around on Discovery Island and even the entire expedition to get out there so uh, it's 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 always fascinated me, and I am that person that when I go out on on the little boats in and, and i I see Discovery Island off in the distance I'm that person who gets as close as I can to the island without the the, the water patrol coming up to me telling me to get away. I just like to get close to it and look around and be like do I remember every single detail? Could I, could I navigate around there if I was to go on there? But uh, ultimately I'm afraid of
0: birds and snakes and
1: gators. So I think I'll stay away. And spiders.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. I know when I, yeah, when I get in a, when I'm in a boat and I'm nearby I try to see can I see any trace of the buildings or the aviary? Yeah. But it's so overgrown now. It is. Yeah. It's it's tough too. But yeah, Carol and I went there on our honeymoon back in the 80s and then we took our children there, I think on our first uh, first time we took them to Walt Disney World. So yeah, I have some good memories of it. We have some good photos of it. Carol was not an animal person when we got married. And so there is a photo of her with uh, two parrots on her arms and uh, um She's not looking entirely relaxed. <laughs> so. Anyway, that was one of the stations where they took a photo of you with, with parrots or macaws or whatever they were um, on your arms. So But depending upon when you visited the island, it was either a deserted pirate island full of mystery, and perhaps buried treasure waiting to be found, or an island refuge for hundreds of birds and animals. For some, the island was simply a part of their vacation package or their park passport, and for others, it was a must-do experience with each visit to Walt Disney World. And Discovery Island as a guest attraction goes back to Walt Disney. Walt Disney was an environmentalist and loved animals and recognized the great appeal that animals have to people. He originated the concept of wildlife nature films with his True Life Adventures series. Stories about animals were a regular part Of the programming offered on Walt's weekly television series and remained a staple of Disney programming for generations that continues today on Disney Plus and with the Disney Nature Film Series. Even in his early designs and attractions for Disneyland, Walt featured guests' interactions with animals, including the horse drawn Rainbow Ridge stagecoach, the Conestoga wagon, and the Rainbow Ridge pack mules. Some of these later had to be eliminated, like pack mules in Frontierland, who had a tendency to nip the guests and sit down on the job. As the Walt Disney Company developed the Florida Project, which would become Walt Disney World, the desire to provide guest interactions with animals was part of the plan. It was this island that caught Walt's attention when he was looking for sites for a potential East Coast resort on November 22, 1963. Walt flew over Central Florida looking to make the final decision on where to locate this project. He'd already looked at other areas outside of Florida and near Ocala and other locations in Florida, but on that day he looked down and saw the property that would become Walt Disney World. Those with Walt in the plane recall as Walt looked down on the beautiful little island sitting in the middle of the lake hearing him say, this is it. The island he saw would eventually become Discovery Island. From the early 1900s, it was known as Raz Island, named after the family that lived there. In the late 1930s, it was purchased for $800 by a man named Del Mar Radio Nick Nicholson, who renamed the island Idle Bay Isle, and he lived there for 20 years with his wife and a pet spoonbill crane, and passed the time growing orchids. Radio Nick was Florida's first disc jockey, an inventor, avid herpetologist, and a naturalist, and some of his accomplishments refining radio receivers won nat- national recognition. Wonder what that island would go for today. Yeah. Somebody wanted to purchase it. <laughs> I, there's something to me that's just kind of
1: creepy about someone living there, like before it was even owned by the Walt Disney Company. Like, I, I, I don't know. It's just thinking that like most of that land was completely unused and then there's this, there's just, it's, there's this island there and people just choose to live on it for some reason. Uh it's just the the past of Florida is just very intriguing to me, and I don't think in a good way.
0: Yeah, and as you're going to learn, this wasn't the beautiful tropical island that we know today. It was it was it was covered in scrub, and I can't imagine it had amenities you know, like plumbing and electricity and things like that. Oh, I cannot imagine that it did have that. (laughs) In his later years, and he became ill, Nicholson sold the Island to a group of local businessmen who used it as a hunting camp. And it became known as Riles Island before the Walt Disney company purchased the 28,000 acre Island in 1965 under a fictitious business name, of course. There were several ideas that floated around the Walt Disney Company on how best to use the island for guests. When Walt Disney World opened in 1971, the island was named Blackbeard's Island and appeared on guide maps. However, development of the island didn't start until 1974, when 55,000 cubic yards of soil and over 500 tons of boulders and trees were used to build up the island to eleven and a half acres. Three elevated lagoons, winding footpaths, streams, and hills were created. A variety of flowers and trees from around the world were planted, and the one-time flat, scrub-brush-filled island was transformed into a tropical paradise. Just
1: imagine if instead of making it a tropical paradise, if they would have made this like, pleasure island instead of the pleasure island that eventually came, but they could have made a pleasure island in the middle of this island in Walt Disney World that was an oasis for for adults to go and have fun at for the night. It also sounds dangerous because what happens when you mix an island and alcohol, but they, uh-huh. they could have done anything <laughs> with it. Like I'm not saying that that Discovery Island was the, the wrong choice to make, but ah, to, to be in those conversations at the beginning of what could have came
0: from this island, that would have been a cool play, a cool room to be in. Would have been would have been interesting to hear what all the ideas that floated around. Yeah. The island was renamed Treasure Island. However, the Blackbeard Island name was reused and given to one of the three man-made islands of the Seven Seas Lagoon. Although the name of this new island attraction was changed to Treasure Island, the original concept for the pirate-themed adventure would remain as it would take elements from the 1950 Disney film of the same name. It was themed as a pirate island, complete with a shipwreck mast and all on a gorgeous white sand beach. Treasure Island opened on April 7, 1974, with the hope to attract more guests to the resort and encourage them to extend their vacation stays. It was closed from January to March 1976 for a renovation that included a snack stand and aviary. and We'll get more into that renovation in a bit. The promotional brochure at the time described the island. Sail the seven seas of Walt Disney World to an island filled with tropical beauty, colorful birds, and the mystery of Ben buried treasure. If you visited the island in 1974 and 1975, you would have found a tropical paradise themed around the Robert Louis Stevenson story and the 1950 film. Cast members are dressed in pirate garb and oil lamps lit the trails. The promotional brochure promised theme areas related to the book, such as Billy Bones's Dilemma, The Blockhouse, Spyglass Hill, and Ben Gunn's Cave. However, these areas never made it past the concept art stage. The remains of the walrus, which was Flint's ship in the book, was later changed to the wreck of the Hispaniola, with a backstory that the wreck had been found off the coast of Florida and moved to the island. What would you have experienced during a visit to this treasure island? Well, you'd first take a launch from the Polynesian Resort Village or the Contemporary Resort and disembark at the Jolly Roger Wharf. As an alternative, guests could take the Walt Disney World Cruise, which was a half-day tour of Bay Lake and Seven Seas Lagoon on a side wheeler that featured a recorded narration and refreshments. From there guests would take a half day retreat on the island that ended with a fireside sing along and a marshmallow roast. During their first during their visit to the island, guests discovered nineteen stops, vista, and animal encounters that included Captain Flinch's Perch, Buccaneers Cove, North Inlet, Lookout Point, Black Dog Bridge, Dubloon Lagoon, Mutineer Falls, Dead Man's Island, Skeleton Lair, Buccaneer's Roost, Black Dog Swamp, Cape of the Woods, Remains of the Walrus, Scavenger Beach, Flamingo Lagoon, Rum Point, Toucan Cage, and the Mizzen Mast. Each area provided a distinct bird, mammal, or specific fauna. The brochure that accompanied the map of Treasure Island also previewed coming attractions related to this pirate theme. Sam McKim, who created the early illustrations of Disneyland's Main Street USA and Frontierland, also provided illustrations of these promised pirate additions to the island. According to the brochure, they would be, Billy Bone's Dilemma, Captain Flint's First Mate Falls Prey to the Perils of the Open Sea. The Blockhouse, side of the battle for the treasure map. Though fully armed, we were still outnumbered by Long John Silver's Buccaneers. Spyglass Hill, a fantastic group of rocks in the heart of the island. In this primeval playground, you'll discover the secrets of this treasure isle. This sounds a little like uh, Disneyland's Tom Sawyer Island to me, the original Tom Sawyer Island.
1: Yeah, you know, it's. uh, I was... I was kind of going that way, just like think thinking about the sound of it. Obviously, not something I'm necessarily familiar with to to a great degree, but yeah, it's um, it, it sounds
0: very interesting. Yeah. And then Ben Gunn's cave, as mysterious as the strange hermit himself. Its, it's exact location is unknown even today, but we know it some place on this island. And the wreck of the Hispaniola, this sea-going vessel led by Captain Smollett, once anchored here in search of buried treasure only to be overtaken by her mutinous crew, headed by the self-appointed Captain Long John Silver. She was later ran ashore by the brave young Jim Hawkins, never to sail again. It sort of gets me to want to re-watch Treasure Island.
1: At the very <laughs> least, you could rewatch Muppet Treasure Island, which is the- basically the same thing. So, but yeah, so basically. I Listen, I know how much you love the Muppets, so I want I want to make sure that you know that is an option. I don't want you to to shut the door on anything. I do like the
0: Muppets in in their place. Yes. <laughs> I do like Muppets Treasure Island, but Anyway, but, but and, and I'm sure if this somehow still existed today, there there would be a Muppet presence here.
1: Yeah, well, I think we already <laughs> cracked it here. It's why isn't there a Muppet Treasure Island attraction right on here? That, that movie is starting to celebrate its 25th anniversary. And Imagineering's looking for more place to put the Muppets. I, I think we found the right place for them. Let's put them out yeah, on the middle yeah. of an island and the people who are most passionate about them will have to travel to get there but then they will be rewarded with with an oasis of muppets
0: hmm. oh, actually you know that just might work but but you know this experience did not resonate with guests due to the pirate theme guests expected a more swashbuckling adventure rather than a sedate walking tour <laughs> Plus, there were no dining facilities, so guests were encouraged to bring their own picnic supplies from the Disney Village, known today as Disney Springs, or from Fort Wilderness. Adding to the disappointment, exploration of the beautiful white sand beach was encouraged, but swimming was not allowed. Treasure Island...
1: Mm -hmm. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. Just as laughing as soon as I think about picnic supplies, just knowing... How Disney is today. Like, if they were going to offer supplies, I'm sure they would offer like what they do at a DVC place where it's just, you know, cheap lunch meat sitting in there, gray hamburgers that you can cook, just like the absolute worst stuff and say, here you go. Have a great lunch. Go for it. But,
0: and, 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 you know, it would be themed. It'd be a treasure island themed, <laughs> um, little cardboard box. It looked like a little treasure chest. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of like a a McDonald's Happy Meal style box.
1: Oh, that sounds so fun. So fun. We're we're coming up with some great ideas in this one.
0: We are. I think they they need to hire us to to revitalize (laughs) this island. Um, Anyway, Treasure Island was closed from January to March 1976 for renovation. When it opened in April 1976, it had a new name and a new focus. It was now Discovery Island and had one of the world's largest aviaries. Now Discovery Island was a tropical paradise, a nature preserve, where guests could observe rare flora and fauna. The new island was a haven for all kinds of animals, including rare species and exotic birds like bald eagles and vultures, where guests could walk along the Discovery Island Trail and observe these creatures in their natural habitat. The island was accredited by the American Zoo and Aquarium Association, or the AZA, in 1978 and served as a breeding facility for rare birds. It became renowned for its bird, plant, and tortoise populations. It even had the Jose Carioca Flyers Bird Show, which performed in the Cuckoo Cabana. There were also bird demonstrations as well as a scavenger hunt which was available to guests as they arrived on the island. The 20-question hunt had clues with answers that could be found on signs throughout the island. Successfully answering all of the questions entitled a guest to a Jiminy Cricket Environmentality Earth Day Button. The new promotional brochures provided this description of the island. Sail the seven seas of Walt Disney World to an island filled with tropical flowers, colorful birds, and an untold wealth of old discoveries. For several years, the island retained many of its pirate related names. The snack bar's original name, Old Anchor Inn, it was O L D E, Anchor Inn, would later be changed to the Thirsty Perch. A few of the stops were renamed or altered with the addition of the aviary, and a second set of restrooms labeled Mates and Maidens was added. But most of the walking route remained the same. The aviary is one of the world's largest and measured over an acre. With the retheming and new focus of the island, Disney added more animals to the areas, including peacocks, macaws, rayas, tortoises, flamingos, pelicans, hornbills, eagles, alligators, rabbits, miniature deer, toucans, Patagonian cavies, scarlet ibis, cockatoos, cranes, swans, and two-caged primates. Discovery Island was also the home of the last known dusky seaside sparrow before it died in 1987. There was an attempt to repopulate the species, but it failed, and the bird was declared extinct in 1990.
1: So this is
0: I know that is sad. So this now this is the treasure island or the discovery island that I knew yeah. Carol and I and our children visited. Mm. So and we thoroughly enjoyed it. You know, we spent half the day there exploring it.
1: Yeah, I mean I you know obviously there's still a little bit more changes to come especially when I started uh, attending but it's I I can remember when we went that we were it wasn't just a quick trip it was always a a definite half day uh, experience and I I don't want to rile anyone up with with saying it but I I feel like I feel like it was at a time where where people were willing to do something like it for for a half day and take some time relax and move at a slower pace and then then when people started looking at some of the theme parks like Animal Kingdom later on and saying, oh, yeah, this is a half-day park, then you then you look at something like Discovery Island and say, well, if Animal Kingdom's a half-day park, then Discovery Island isn't worth the time that it takes to actually travel and get there and come back. So uh, it's, yeah, yeah, it's uh, it, it's a tough story,
0: but we still have a little ways to go with it, too. We do. We do. Yeah. Well, with the AZA accreditation, the cast members found themselves spending more time taking care of the animals and working on breeding protocols rather than with guest interactions. By the 1990s, the island was host to over 90 species of animals and 250 species of plants. In the mid-1980s, vultures started to appear around the island's sanctuary, causing damage to the island and many of its inhabitants. Cast members attempted several methods to dissuade the vultures from staying, but were unsuccessful. Charges against the island's director and four employees were filed for the mishandling of wild birds and vultures, as well as the destruction of nests and shooting off falcons and hawks. Disney claimed the employees are trying to relocate the birds, with unfortunate results. Disney settled the case and updated their environmental policies throughout the resort whilst keeping their AZA accreditation. The cast members involved were reassigned, fines were paid, and Disney began a very public campaign throughout the divisions that centered on environmentality, stating that "...environmentality is a fundamental ethic that blends business growth with the conservation of natural resources." Attention to the environment drives new business initiatives, demonstrating how environmental stewardship goes hand-in-hand with bottom-line cost savings. By the early 1980s, the pirate influences had been removed from the island and were renamed Parrot's Perch, Discovery Island Bird Show, North Inlet, Monkey Colony, Trumpeteer Springs, North Falls, Swan's Neck, Bamboo Hollow, Vulture's Haunt seemed like a bit of an ironic name to me. (laughs) Um, Toucan Corner, Cranes Roost, Avian Way, Boardwalk, Rookery Pond, Pelican Bay, Flamingo Lagoon, Tortoise Beach, Alligator Pond, and Eagle's Watch. It was noted in a promotional material that a few of the island's inhabitants would not survive in their native areas due to injuries. The two southern bald eagles were on loan from the United States Department of the Interior. By the 1990s, there were a few additions and changes to Discovery Island. There was now an education pavilion, feathered friends display, primate point hosting lemurs, African aviary, the Discovery Island headquarters in animal hospital and nursery, wildlife walkway, fishing cat, South, Af- South American Aviary, and Shipwreck Beach. Another addition to Walt Disney World in the 1990s would bring about a great change to Discovery Island. And as you already uh, alluded to, Craig, the opening of Disney's Animal Kingdom on April 22, 1998. With the opening of that grand new park focused on animals... There was not much reason for guests to visit Discovery Island. By this time, Walt Disney World hosted three theme parks, three water parks, a large shopping and entertainment district, and 99 holes of golf. Early morning entry into the parks for resort guests and hours extending past midnight for parks and entertainment restricted where and when guests spent their time and money. All of this led to a steady decline in guest attendance at Discovery Island. Yeah. I I can't imagine that a lot of people were going
1: at the end. It, it just it, unless it was one of those situations where for a time they were throwing in like free tickets or something in vacation packages. I just I can't fathom people people taking the time off and of their their other activities to to go over there once once we are getting into that time period in 98, where there was just too much to do in Walt Disney World in even, even one week. So uh, it must have it been a ghost
0: town towards the end. Yeah. Well, I know all the times we visited, it was part of our vacation package. It was an amenity. And, and like I said, too, if you bought one of the upper tier um, annual passes, it was included, you know, the way the water parks are otherwise you paid it was a separate ticketed gate yeah well that you paid to get there yeah and that's
1: you know that that's never going to help when they can wrap it, when they can wrap it into a vacation package or an annual pass like what they did for Disney quest that's that's a good way to keep keep people going for a while but it's not it's never going to impact any anything for the long run and obviously well we've seen we've seen that happen with disney quest and with discovery island so that's a uh, you know we're, we here at the Diz we're always looking for signs of when we should realize that something is is getting close to being retired person and or attraction so now we'll 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 add to the list if it gets added into your annual pass or vacation package plan on it being gone sometime soon
0: hmm. <laughs> yes no. Uh, While the island was officially closed on April 8th, 1999, after 25 years of entertaining and educating guests, it continued to operate until July 9th, 1999, so all the animals and conservation and breeding efforts could be relocated to Disney's Animal Kingdom and to other zoos. The Safari Village hub area of Disney's Animal Kingdom was then renamed Discovery Island. So Craig overall did you enjoy when you went to Discovery Island was that a positive experience you had Yeah I was
1: again I was I was young so it I, I feel like I always enjoyed it and I've always been a huge fan of of zoos and and aviaries and and anything along that line and you know we we grew up in I grew up north of Pittsburgh so we had we had the Sea World in the in you know just outside of Cleveland area. You know we had that growing up too, so I I was used to going to to places like this. So it was just one of those things that we thought it was fun. It was so it wasn't anything like super exciting, but any chance to see birds, animals, uh, always always going to be to be good. But I do feel like there's you know I was a great age when when I was going there, I was still reading lots of like zoo books and, and bringing home books from, from school, from the library about animals. And I was really invested in that. So it, it spoke to me because of, because of who I am, but you know, had it still been around to this day, I, I don't know if it's something that I would have been interested in and still going to, to right now in 2021, but, uh, we also can't can't figure that out i love going to animal kingdom so maybe that's a good thing and i still enjoy a good zoo
0: Mm -hmm. i i love discovery island and so did my children carol a little less so but uh but i I just i love the tropical feel i'm always drawn to the tropics and tropical plants and all that but i love the up-close encounters that you had with animals at some of the stations there and it, it it was just and it was fun just to be out in the middle of Bay Lake you know and it, it was an adventure to get there yeah and and that that was neat I, I like that it was a you it,
1: it, you had to get there in a unique way and then once you were there it was a it was a unique experience that at least at the time I'm, I'm sure there's other things out there but from from my perspective where I grew up Discovery Island was different. That was that was not the experience you got of going to any of the places I just mentioned before. So uh with with that being said, it that that really makes it something special, but you know, it also doesn't necessarily mean it's going to have repeat value and it, it also you have to factor in sometimes people just change. They don't they start to lose interest. They start adapting. I mean, we know that with even theme parks in general, now in the age where everyone has a a computer in their pocket with their cell phone, uh, a lot of the details that, that we used to talk about, Oh, well you have to walk around the parks and truly take it all in. A lot of those details are lost now because now it's about taking the photo and then starting to get on your phone to scroll and post it. And I know I'm guilty in that as well too, but, um, it's so i'm not i'm not trying to sit here and criticize i'm just saying we we change as people so i'm not i'm not sure if if even with discovery island if it could have made it if it would have made it past animal kingdom i'm not sure if it, if it would have made it to this day knowing mm-hmm. how people visit walt disney world now
0: yeah that's true yeah. Well, since it's closing the island has sat largely abandoned <clears throat> with no signs of development As of this recording, all original buildings and attractions remain on the island, although several have sustained major damage from hurricanes and natural decay. Additionally, Walt Disney World has banned all outings to the park, and guests are prohibited from getting within 50 feet of its shoreline. And legal action may be taken if you are found trespassing. And I know in researching this, I came across uh, a cast member stating that if you, if cast members go to this island, they're immediate. the policy is you're immediately terminated. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, so photographer Seth Lawless, who published drone and zoom photos of the abandoned Discovery Island and River Country in 2016, has been banned from visiting Walt Disney World Parks for life. But... Few people have trespassed over the last few years, and their excursions have provided photos and personal anecdotes for those curious about the abandoned attraction. Most recently, YouTuber Matt Sanswa, I think that's how you say his name, and his friend filmed an hour long exploration of Discovery Island. And his video footage um, of what the island looked like as of 2017, was the first video to capture the state of the forgotten park. Overall, the most interesting part of the video is that it appears as if the park was left in a hurry. Photographs, office supplies, an incubator, and a cooler with animal food and medicine, things you would expect to be cleared out before closing the park indefinitely, still remain. The video also shows a snake preserved in a Diet Coke bottle. Also photographed by Shane Perez in two thousand and nine. So, um, is was Matt the one that swam there? Oh, and took I remember some, some somebody was arrested not too long ago for swimming to the island and taking videos. And I thought, wow, you're really taking in the night, in the dark. I thought, wow, you're taking your life in your own hands. There, I don't
1: believe uh-huh. he was that one, but I could be wrong. Um, it's, you know, it, as as we we go through it, it, there's there's been a lot of these stories, and mm-hmm. um, you know, urban explan- urban exploring, which this isn't even really urban since it's an island, but the the exploring of places that are abandoned and forgotten like that has that became a big thing at walt disney world beyond just this and river country obviously it was happening at at um at cranium command and Mm -hmm. body wars and like it's just it was so rampant that it's so many of these stories came out that it's hard to
0: sometimes keep track of all of them now, on April 30th, 2020, Robert McGuire was arrested for trespassing after authorities found him camping on Discovery Island. Prior to be, being apprehended, Maguire had spent several days camping inside the deserted property, which he referred to as a tropical paradise, and claimed he did not know it was off-limits to the public. Okay, I seriously doubt that. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that's a stretch. <laughs> yeah. He was arrested and charged with trespassing on posted property. McGuire was also ordered not to return to any Walt Disney World properties. I assume that's forever. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Occasionally, a rumor will make the rounds about Discovery Island's future. The most recent rumor was the construction of honeymoon suites or some other guest area on the island. For a time, there was a speculation and rumor that an attraction themed to the ABC television show Lost would be put there. A third rumor that persisted was that Disney was partnering with the creators of the computer game Myst to offer some sort of attraction. I'm not familiar with that game so, I assume it takes place in a tropical theme of some sort. I've heard of you know? it, but I am not familiar with it as well. Yeah. All of these rumors seem to be mere speculation and were never officially confirmed by the Walt Disney Company. Years ago, I had a cast member tell me that nothing will ever be built on this island for the simple reason of if emergency evacuation. The time it takes... If there is an emergency to get to the island and get someone off the island, is is time prohibitive?
1: Yeah, and, I could see that is playing into a factor. I think it's also, um, you know, it's a it's a large island, but anything they do with it would have it would be extremely costly because you know it's an island. At the end of the day, it's not like they're going to just drain. Drain the entire water and and bring over construction uh, vehicles and such to it. So it would be a very, very, very time consuming process to do anything. Uh, and uh, it would have to be the best idea ever, ever in order to justify the cost that would mm-hmm. go into it. So being able to also throw in stuff like, yeah, emergency situations, uh, cost of insurance, on the island, all of that, you know, there's, there's lots of little things, but I think, I think it really just comes down to It's, it is an island. (laughs) It's, it's not, it's not simple. Uh, Disney seems to struggle with creating stuff in when it is almost an island of sorts. I look this is off topic still on though. Like I look at something like seven doors mine train that was essentially built on an island in the sense that uh, it, was built right in the middle of new fantasy land and fantasy land. And so normally if something's built on the outside edge, they can do construction around the clock and constantly working on it. But how do you build an attraction when it's in the middle of the park and to truly do construction on it, you would have to block off sections, move around equipment you couldn't. And that's, that's part of why it took so many, so many years to come together. So mm-hmm. it's it's just tough. There's a lot of factors that go into into a choice like that, but I you know, you also don't want an emergency. So
0: I believe that too. Yeah. Now the island can still be seen from the surrounding shoreline, but the distance and dense shrubbery restricts the view of most of the island. There are a few Walt Disney World resorts that may provide a better view, such as Disney's Contemporary Resort and the Wilderness Lodge, which are located directly across the water. Motorized boats and kayak rentals are available from Fort Wilderness, allowing guests to enjoy Bay Lake, although these boat rides provide an opportunity to get closer to the thickly vegetated island. Remember that you are restricted from getting within 50 feet of the shoreline, and visitors are banned from the island. But when you catch a glimpse of the abandoned island, recall its importance in Walt Disney World history for being the island that caught Walt's attention back on that plane ride in 1963 that forever changed Florida. And now let's explore This Week in Disney History. Okay, Craig, we're starting with the week of February seventh. And of course I have to kick it off with a Super Bowl question. I, I don't appreciate that pun, Michael. <laughs> I'm just letting you know. Well, for only the second time in its history, which did not take place at the Super Bowl on February seventh, twenty seventeen? Um, the I'm going to Disney World declaration? That's exactly right. There is no iconic Disney commercial following the Super Bowl. The traditional I'm going to Disney World and I'm going to Disneyland commercial had been appearing since 1987 when New York Giants quarterback Phil Sims said it after winning Super Bowl XXI. Uh, Disney has run the commercials soon after the end of each Super Bowl since, except for 2005. Denver Bronco quarterback Peyton Manning tells reporters that he's taking his kids to Disneyland after his team's twenty-four to ten victory over the Carolina Panthers. So, and again, no reason was given. Um, Interesting that one. Yeah, I don't know if that's that might be the year where instead they filmed a bunch of the athletes practicing the line and it appeared sort of throughout the super bowl but they never actually did the commercial i'm not sure i'm trying to th- i'll be honest i'm trying to think if i even
1: watched the super bowl i don't i don't know if i did i don't know where else i would have been but it's like i'm really embarrassed to say it's not
0: ringing a bell to me <laughs> Well, February 8th, Walt Disney received two stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame on February 8th, 1960. What were the stars for? Um, I'm
1: going to take a guess because that's all
0: I can do. And I'm going to say uh, movies and TV. Exactly. Television and the movies. The TV star is located on the north side of the 6700 block of Hollywood Boulevard, whilst the movie star is at the north side of the 7000 block of Hollywood Boulevard. Okay, February 9th. What did the Walt Disney Company reacquire the rights to on February 9th, 2006? Uh, I'm guessing that's when they got back Oswald. That's correct. The Walt Disney Company reacquired the rights to Oswald the Lucky Rabbit back from n b c Universal, along with sports considerations for e s p n The rights are obtained as part of a transaction permitting football play by play analyst Al Michaels to contract with n b c which he was bitter about Damn. for a very long time, yeah openly bitter,
1: oh yeah but i I just <laughs> You know, I I appreciate it. I just hope that one day Oswald will will be utilized uh, as much as Bob Iger placed value on him because he did he did a great thing by by bringing him back into the Walt Disney Company and you know he's had a couple moments here and there and merch and the show that ran during the the fan fest in uh, in Disneyland Paris but it's Oswald still hasn't gotten his day in the sun in the right way. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I, I was sure they were gonna do Martha. I mean you know, for a while he appeared, you know, on Buena Vista Street at Disney's um, California Adventure, but they pulled him yeah. uh, a couple of years ago. Um which I don't know why. He was wildly popular. The the Oswald ears were incredibly popular. Yeah that, the ear hats. That whole
1: line of merch. I always I always told myself when I saw Oswald in California adventure and the line was super long. I always told myself that I'll do it the next time. That's one of those characters that will always be there. And then one day he just wasn't there anymore. Um, It's just, it's one of those, one of those situations with Disney that just seems to happen from time to time where you can tell they just don't quite know what they want to do with the characters. And they that's it seems like that happens time and time again in this company's history that they they don't have a good plan in place for what they're going to do with the characters once they have them or underestimate the success and uh, yeah Oswald Oswald could be flourishing right now if he was given the right the right time and dedication
0: mm-hmm. yeah I agree again you know they should find him a home on Disney Plus. Start. start a little series. yeah. <laughs> I would love an Oswald series. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and he could team them up with the Muppets since they don't know what to do with them. Well, even better. <laughs> I'm in. Have, have, a te- have a cartoon series or it's all the cast-offs. So they just don't know what to do with. <laughs> okay, February 10th. What opening day Disneyland Frontierland Attraction closed on february tenth, nineteen sixty. It took guests past Frontierland sites like Elephant Rock, Horse Thief Canyon, Dead Man Springs, and the Rivers of America.
1: Oh um Maybe the pack
0: Mills? No, they stuck around a lot longer. Than that. longer. But you're you're close. Um am going to give it another shot. I'm going to let you give it to me. It's the Rainbow Mountain Stagecoach, uh, and yeah, a yeah, guest, yeah. a guest could ride shotgun up top, up top, or inside the coach. An opening day Frontierland attraction. It had originally been named simply Stagecoach. I love this. I love that old Frontierland, where uh, I, it really felt there there was no end to it. And you rode the Conestoga Wagon and the Stagecoach, and there, it really felt like it was a frontier.
1: That's where I, uh, I was bummed the last time we were at Knott's Berry Farm. We wanted to ride on the the Stagecoach they had at that park, and... It just the line was too long. Everyone wanted to do it, and that's when yeah. that's when you have to look at it and say, you know, Knotts doesn't get the same traffic that that Walt Disney World does, and you know, arguably there's a lot of good that has come out of Galaxy's Edge and and Big Thunder Mountain Railroad, but that still doesn't make you you look at it all and say, hmm, what if Disney would have just kept it? It clearly still there is still an audience for it, but mm-hmm. I also. I, I love Big Thunder Mountain Railroad and Galaxy. I Next, do too.
0: Though. I do too. What shut its gates for good at Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom on February eleventh, twenty eleven?
1: Magic Kingdom twenty eleven. What shut its gates?
0: I am not positive. Mickey's Toontown Fair at Walt Disney World, a section of the Magic Kingdom that started as Mickey's Birthday Land in 1988, shut its gates for good at the end of this day. The area is needed for the ongoing Fantasyland expansion project. The Barnstormer attraction is scheduled to remain, but with a new name and theming, but the rest of Toontown will fade into Disney history.
1: I'm a little embarrassed on that one. (laughs) I'm not going to lie, because I was sitting here thinking, like, well, I didn't live in Florida in 2011, so I'm not quite sure what was happening necessarily in terms of what was closing there. And then it just dawned on me as you're reading it like no i actually i was in florida and i remember it closing and i remember it visit visiting it very shortly before it closed so that's just uh i'm gonna
0: blame the time time of night on that one (laughs) yeah yeah i'm so glad that they're building mickey and minnie's runaway railway in our toontown because disneyland because it means toontown's not going away because you know there are always rumors that it you know it was going to be replaced with and something else. I and I do I miss ours solely
1: uh, because it was so it was so cute. But I also do like um, I, I like having more Dumbo involved in our park as well with with the circus atmosphere. So it's it's one of those ones where you know we got a little bit of good, but we also had a little bit of bad with it. Just it wasn't wasn't a fair fight.
0: I yeah, yeah, I guess. I, I don't know if I'm that excited about the double dumbos, but
1: Yeah, it's just yeah, Storybook <laughs> Circus. It's cute overall. Mm-hmm. If we could now get um if we could get like the uh, uh, why can't I think of the the Casey Jr. circus train. If we could get something mm-hmm. like that in that area though, then that would be a complete game changer. Storybook that circus would be. would be an
0: awesome place. That would be. That would be cool if they could squeeze that in somewhere. February 12th, at Todd Shipyards in Long Beach, California, the steel hull of Disneyland's newest watercraft is completed on February 12th, 1958. What is being built? Oh, um, uh, Columbia. Sailing correct. to Columbia. That is correct. It is the only three-masted windjammer jammer constructed in the United States for over 100 years. The vessel will be transported to Disneyland and installed in the rivers of America, where the rest of the construction will be completed. Okay, February 13th. Disneyland hosted a Friday the 13th ceremony on February 13th, 2004. The event, which included a screaming contest that was won by Jill Drake of Kent, England, is hosted by comedian Gallagher. What was the purpose of this event? Um. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I always love throwing in who was at things like this, just as he was popular at the time. No, Gallagher was not popular
1: <laughs> in 2004. Um I, I'm gonna be honest. I'm not I'm not quite sure why. I don't I don't know why I don't know why Gallagher was there. You've you've
0: stumped me on this one and you've made <laughs> me
1: laugh so much with it, so thank you.
0: Well you're welcome. And it was to light up the marquee of the new Tower of Terror. The new attraction will open in Disney's California adventure on May fifth. Do you think he brought his watermelons and was he smashing fruit? Like <laughs> he
1: must have, because why else would you have him there? It's like uh, i I didn't realize Gallagher was still a thing in two thousand four. I thought his I thought his heyday was in the eighties, and like he was a joke to us by the nineties. In just you know watching watching Comedy Central and stuff, it's like oh that that old guy who used to smash fruit in the eighties. Like I, I, I don't know though. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I, is he still around? I, I have, have no to idea. Believe he's not even alive, but he might be. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, if you're listening, Gallagher, we apologize. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Yeah, uh, we
1: apologize and uh, thank you for listening. Thank you. For yeah, your support. Thank
0: you. And maybe you'd like to come on the show and tell us how you got that gig. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh well. Well, Craig, it, it seems like. Epcot followed up. Uh, they had a nice little follow up to our our Donald Duck series by um, replacing Donald and Jose and Panchita with a Panchita with a cardboard cutouts in the Grand Fiesta tour. How how nice that they were in sync with us. Yeah, um, I, it's
1: it was a stunning tribute to our our episodes that we did. Uh, I think. I think they they realized that we definitely were focusing on the fact that Donald had an illustrious career in in film as well as in the comics so like we need to flatten him no more three-dimensional <laughs> Donald let's really flatten him out there and so uh the only thing to do is to applaud Disney for for listening to to a little podcast out here like us and making a giant change. So there is, there is a chance for us to have
0: our voice. So yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or they can say they're going retro. Yeah. You know, back to the days when, you know, they made the little, um, storyboards and the little models of it.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, uh definitely. <laughs> it's just a head scratcher. i oh, joking aside with it. It's, I almost would have been better to just cut the audio in the area, have nothing on the stage, and just leave it. So to just add cardboard cutouts is like it's, it's nearly insulting.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully they'll bring back the figures. Maybe yeah. they're working on them, re- rehabbing them, yeah. or maybe they figure, you know, we're going to retheme this to Coco. Why bother? Why put in the energy? I, I think they'll be back. It's
1: just it's going to take. A lot longer than than we've ever expected something like that to happen, but it will be back.
0: Yeah, well, they're fifty year old figures that have traveled to Tokyo and back, so yep, yep. they have a lot of wear and tear on them. Yeah. Anyway, oh, and then um, I think we got our payoff with Wandavision in this last episode. Have you seen it? I have seen it, and uh, I,
1: you know i I've had a lot of conversations with people leading up. To this episode of saying like it it's going to it's going to happen one day where it's going to connect it all together for for you if you were a person that wasn't necessarily on board because of this the slowness of the first three episodes, and sure enough everyone that everyone who had a, a dissenting opinion on that show sure did turn around really with that that fourth
0: episode, yeah, I'm looking forward to see what's coming and um but yeah i thought it was very well done and i like how people now want the who are those two guys the the fbi agent i don't remember their names and then oh the the young lady who's figuring things out
1: yeah uh randall park
0: and kat dennings yeah Yeah, they want people want them in this in their own series now oh yeah
1: i mean like an
0: x-file series kind of thing i i think
1: I think something like that would be fun. Uh, I was, It was kind of one of those uh, moments where I was pleasantly surprised because we knew from D23 Expo that they were going to be in the show, but I had forgotten about it. I remember I that did too. Catherine Hahn was going to be the, the nosy neighbor, and I feel like she has been playing that perfectly the entire time. But, uh, yeah, did not did not remember that randall park and kat dennings were were going to return and i kat dennings annoys me a little bit in everything she does so uh it's she's not my favorite but i think she's actually she has great chemistry with with randall park and everyone she's working with right now in in Swords, so i'm i am i'm really enjoying it i can't I can't wait to see where the rest of the season's going. I will not watch the mid-season trailer that they released, not re-released, released, uh, just because I want. I want to go in with no spoilers the rest <laughs> of the way through. I don't. Even, I don't want anything ruined for me because I'm enjoying it that much, and I cannot. I, I cannot wait to see where it all goes. We had a we had a rough idea of things that might happen in it, but. Uh, I, I really, I, I really am enjoying being like on the edge of my seat each week with this. Yeah,
0: I'm hoping that there'll be a happy ending for Wanda and Vision. Well, so, yeah,
1: uh, I, I kind of don't, but I, uh, I would. I like, I like, um, I, I like that it's a possibility and it could really keep things interesting in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I really like Wanda and I loved I I loved how she, they finally gave her a lot of room to stretch in Endgame and Infinity War and then now with this show and if having if having a happy ending with Vision means that she has to take a step back from the movies moving forward because it wouldn't make wouldn't make a lot of sense and they don't want to do something like re re uh reinvent vision back into the structure i think i think i would rather have her continue on in mm-hmm. a strong way than than get vision back but yeah that makes sense sorry yeah. for all the nerd talk
0: here it's <laughs> just what we do yeah and then um and then you know sleeping beauty had its i think it was its 60th anniversary so i re-watched it and uh, over the weekend and Oh my gosh, that is visually, that is such a stunning film. And I I actually even like rewound sections of it just so that I could look at the background paintings and the foreground Mm -hmm. artwork and all of that. I mean, because now, you know, I have a somewhat new television, about a year old or so. and, And with the sound and everything, I mean, I could really see a lot of the details better than I could on my previous television. And um, it's just such a lovely film. Yeah. I, you know, I I have not
1: watched Sleeping Beauty in a little bit, but I did, I I was actually thinking about it the other day, funny enough, because Kylie and I rewatched Snow White and the Seven Doors. And, watching that like really really put me in the mood to watch a lot more uh classic classic disney movies so i think i'm just going to go all the way through chronologi- chronologically with the movies and watch them that way so i'll get to sleeping beauty in a little yeah. bit but um even snow white i was watching i'm like i two things that i have to take away from it is that i always forget how beautiful the artwork in that movie is and how it just you know how it how it showed the way for the future with disney and animation but then even on top of that like i forget how much of an adult movie it actually is and it drives me nuts when people relegate it to being a kids movie because it's animated and it's it's not this was a movie that was that was made that kids could watch it and enjoy it but this is it's a serious piece of artwork oh it is it's almost insulting to say, oh no, it's just a cartoon, it's a kid's movie. It's it is it's not a Mickey Mouse at all. It is it is something that should be cherished alongside the greatest pieces of art. So
0: well remember when it debuted at the Carthay Circle Theater and you know and so all the Hollywood luminaries were there and they wept yeah. when Snow White died. Those were adults who were in the industry so yeah most definitely you know it it's it's for children of all ages including adults so
1: yeah, yeah yeah i i uh just it's that's that's how i feel about it at least i know not everyone feels that way but mm-hmm. uh my random one i'll throw in is my dogs went up to uh bed with with Kylie Early one night this past week, which is something they never do, so I was finally able to watch Togo and uh, not have my dog barking at the TV the entire time. And I thoroughly enjoyed it.
0: So, Isn't it a good film? It was. I really like it.
1: It was so well done. Um, just you know, Willem Dafoe was obviously was obviously really good in it, and all all the acting was good. The story, even though you know the outcome was was gripping and really just the the relationship between between man and animal just like it, it was moving i really i really wish that would have got a theatrical debut it it deserved to be on a big screen
0: It, it would, especially the way it was filmed and and the, mm-hmm. the the vistas would have loved to have seen it on a large screen yeah and even the fact that like it
1: had it had that filter over top of it to kind of give it that vintage age look the entire time and i'm like that's it's on a tv you know on a 55 inch tv i kind of see it and you'll see it more the larger you go up but if you watch that on a 32 inch tv you're missing all of those details so uh that that would be one that I totally understand why it went to Disney plus and it became a, a disney plus original but uh it, to me some of these decisions uh, that's that's iffy it probably would not have made its money in theaters but it it deserved to be a theater worthy movie at the exact same time and <clears throat> Uh, that's that's the tough the tough waters that they're gonna have to navigate especially post pandemic is uh do you only release stuff in theaters that's going to be a guaranteed massive hit or do you uh do you give do you give some of the smaller ones a chance
0: too? yeah but um yeah, so uh, and I have been watching the animated films chronologically, but I I skipped over Alice in Wonderland. She's next up on my list, not my favorite of the Disney classic films, and uh, it's in order to get to Sleeping Beauty. So now I have to go back and watch Alice. So she'll probably be the next one.
1: Yeah, just did I watch? Just
0: listen to the music. <laughs> I that's Yeah, I have to see if I appreciate it more especially you know with the upgrade to the attraction of disneyland yeah i'm not
1: i'm not a huge fan of the the story or the uh, a lot of the look of alice in wonderland for me it is it's the music um Mm -hmm. i i really like i like that i like the tone of the music and i like the amount in there and i like that it keeps changing and um, you know, it adds to that frantic energy. But I, I understand with Alice. It's it's always it's always made me scratch my head when you know it's one of the first things that gets released every time there's a new format. It's you know th- throw out Dumbo, throw out Fantasia, throw out Alice and Snow White, and it's like, well, Alice did that really need to be in the first group? But uh, there
0: must be must be massive fans out there. <laughs> So, yeah. and since we're celebrating the 50th anniversary of Walt Disney World, you know, with this episode, we, uh, it's been announced that there's a new book coming out. A definitely, I think this is going to be a coffee table book. Mm-hmm. Uh, Walt Disney World, a portrait of the first half century. And it's going to be released in September, right before the anniversary for the uh, hefty price of $60. And so I'm assuming it's going to be very, similar to, you know, the Holiday book. Yeah. Yeah. Hol- uh, you know, that vein in size. So I'm looking forward to it. I put in my pre-order. And me too. And I, I would not be disappointed
1: if it comes down a little bit in price. But you know what? If If it stays at that, then... Uh, I'm sure that the quality will match up with the price tag on it, but yeah, that was—I uh, I can't remember where I saw it posted, but you know, without without an image, without anything, just knowing that it's going to be the definitive book on
0: the on the 50th anniversary, it's it had me sold. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I, I wish they'd come out with the definitive collection of music, as they did with Disneyland's 50th anniversary. Yeah. I would be. So happy, yeah. I, I feel like that's uh, the chances of that are
1: slim to none. Unfortunately for us, uh, um, I w- I would love to be wrong, but I I feel like when even when uh, Walt Disney Records abandoned releasing their legacy collection CDs, because uh, you know they didn't need to do physical copies of those, they could have just done them digitally. But mm-hmm. when they gave up on those, I felt like that's another another uh another nail in the the coffin of good disney records releases Um, yeah and it's a shame because you know vinyl is is still growing and making a comeback it's just disney doesn't seem to understand the music that people want they're releasing picture discs still of of uh, of new movies and 90s movies, and I get that there are people out there who want that, but they're, they're just they don't quite seem in sync with what with what people want in terms of, of music because even even some of these releases, like a 50th anniversary box set, make it limited edition 5000, which still seems like a lot. but make it that jack up the price because of it, and they will still sell it all out.
0: No oh, absolutely, they will. Well, look, well the Disneyland one yeah. sold out mm-hmm. very quickly. Mm-hmm. Well, I referred to several books, articles, and websites during my research for this episode, including An Island Filled with Tropic Beauty, Colorful Birds, and the Mystery of Ben Gunn's Buried Treasure by George Taylor for the book Four Decades of Magic, Celebrating the First 40 Years of Disney World, a collection of essays compiled by Chad Denver Emerson. Also, Loving the Outdoors the Disney Way, A Look Back at Discovery Island by Rod Wheaton. Disney World's Abandoned Island, The Story Behind Discovery Island by Vita Zaku. Abandoned Disney, The Story of Walt Disney World's Discovery Island by Nathaniel Eaker. Treasure Island, a.k.a. Discovery Island, Theme Park Archives on allears.net. And the final day of discovery of Disney's Discovery Island by Alan Oakley. So, Craig, until next time, how can our listeners connect with you? As always, you can find me on the random shows on the Diz
1: Unplugged podcast network that I'm on. And then always on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Teleclaster. And email Craig at WDWinfo.com.
0: What about you, Michael? You can email me at Michael at wdwinfo.com, Twitter I'm at mbowling121, Facebook at Michael Bowling dash connecting with Walt, Instagram, Michael Diz, and you can connect with me and Craig on Twitter at Connecting Walt. If you would like to listen to more shows on the history of Walt Disney, his studio, his Imagineers, and Disneyland, check out our Disneyland podcast archives for my Disney history episodes on the link Craig includes in our show notes or at disneyplug.com And look for past episodes of Connecting with Walt on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, and Amazon Podcasts, where you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive reviews and ratings when possible.